here. Hello and welcome to episode two of the second season of Blockchain Insider. My name is Simon Taylor and I'm joined by my co-host, Kai Sheffield, who's head of crypto over at Visa. How are you doing today, Kai? I am doing fantastic. Excited for the episode. So much is happening in crypto. We, we got to dive in. And we could do a show a day easily, but we're trying to summarize <laughs> it for you guys. This will be the TLDR version of the past month. In its new form, Blockchain Insider, of course, is putting out two shows uh, every month. One new show looking at all the biggest news of that month and one insight show where we're going to deep dive into a particular subject, trend or topic in the industry. And today's new show, oh my goodness, the guests and us, we're going to be looking at some of the best stories from this past month, including... Square making a hardware wallet for Bitcoin, how Axie Infinity creates work in the metaverse, and USDC stablecoin backer Circle is going to go public in a $4.5 billion SPAC deal. To dig into this, I'm joined by some fantastic guests, starting off with um, Camilla Russo, who's founder of The Defiant. Uh, Cami, welcome to the show. How are you doing? And can you tell everybody about The Defiant? Hi, Simon. Thanks so much for having me. Sure. So I'm the founder of The Defiant. The Defiant is a content and information platform focusing on decentralized finance. It was founded in June 2019 as a Substack newsletter, but now it's grown to a media company with a podcast, a YouTube channel, and a website where we publish articles daily focusing on, on DeFi. So I hope everyone can go and subscribe to get the latest on the most exciting corner of crypto, in my opinion, at least. Let's definitely do it. And alongside Kami, we have Sina Nader, who is the COO at FTX in the United States. Thank you so much for joining us, Sina. How are you doing? Doing well. Thank you for having me. Good to see you, sir. Let's jump right in. Kai, what was the first story we're going to cover this week? Yeah, I, I think we have to start with FTX. You know, just in, in the past few weeks, you know, the announcement of you know, FTX is now valued at $18 billion in a $900 million funding round. Um, so this is, I believe, the largest funding round in crypto history. You know, that $900 million uh, includes more than 60 investors, including Paradigm, Ribbit Capital, Sequoia. Uh, and so, you know, we've been seeing FTX everywhere. I see it on every umpire's patch uh, in Major League Baseball. We're seeing you sponsor the Miami Heat. Cena, you know, what is going on? How does it feel? You know, what are the plans for FTX with this new round of funding? Yeah, so thanks for that. Um, you know, a lot of exciting things happening. And, um, you know, quite frankly, what we wanted to do with this round really was two things. One is to sort of increase uh, the number of partnerships that we have uh, and just basically sort of, you know, uh, strengthen and, and, and grow our relationships outside of the crypto world in particular as well. And then, you know, secondly, we wanted to have uh, even more capital on hand uh, in the event that uh, there's M&A that we wanted to pursue pursue. So that was really, those are sort of the two main goals. And the process, we've been pleased to see how much uh, interest and excitement there is. And we're just honored and delighted to be working with folks that are so excited to be working with us as well. Sina, can I ask you, uh, just for those who aren't familiar, possibly people who live under rocks, just remind everybody what FTX does and why it's different to some of the other exchanges and providers out there. Sure. Yeah. So, so FTX.com uh, is our global exchange. Uh, it is not available to US customers, but it is available to pretty much the rest of the world. It is, um, I believe, the fastest growing crypto exchange in the world. It is the largest crypto exchange outside of China. Uh, if you include China, I believe it's number two to number four, depending on the day. We'll do roughly $10 billion a day of 
volume there. And it's really a platform for people to come to buy and sell and, and trade uh, crypto assets and other assets as well. There's you know various other offerings that we have there that, uh, that people can check out. And then on the US side, we have FTX.US, which is a US regulated exchange offering crypto trading uh, to anyone in the US. We can also, by the way, accept customers from outside the US on the US exchange. However, in the US, we only trade spot crypto. In the international exchange, FTX.com, we also trade futures and, and other instruments. So uh, in terms of sort of what makes us different, um, a lot of people talk about the quality of our tech build. We're kind of known in the industry for having, um, I believe, the best uptime of any of our peers. So that's one thing. The other thing is um, really deep liquidity. For example, in the US, we have the deepest liquidity uh, of any of the major exchanges. Um, and um, the other things are just uh, you know great customer service. Um, we're known for being pretty responsive. I mean, Sam, our founder, will jump in and respond to customer inquiries. So we try to, to really be responsive to the customers. And um, that's really, I think, the core of what we're about is just providing people what they want and trying to uh, provide a delightful experience in the way that people want to, to experience crypto. So when I first heard of, of FTX, it, it seemed like it was this you know, sophisticated you know, exchange for professional and institutional investors. Uh, but now you have Blockfolio. You know, now you're doing all these sponsorships and, and starting to build more of a retail business. Can you talk a little bit more about you know, how you see the role that FTX and Blockfolio can play for mainstream consumers? 100%. So, so that is our core. I mean, we sort of started off as an exchange focused on, you know, sort of uh, professional traders, power users, as we call them. But it's obviously grown since that, you know, sort of in parallel with the overall increase in, in, in interest in crypto. We acquired Blockfolio last year because we thought they had a very, uh, just a beautiful interface, uh, a really good customer experience, uh, user experience, I should say. And we realized that we could help them to enable trading for their customers because previously Blockfolio was just a place to track your crypto. But you know, we we sort of thought about it and we said, well, we have this, you know, what we think to be a great matching engine, a great trading platform. Why don't we sort of let East meet West, so to speak, and enable people to trade? And that's exactly what we did. And people have responded very well. It's growing extremely quickly. And what what the goal with Blockfolio is. Uh, is to provide people a more streamlined experience because, like you said, Kai, you know, not everyone wants the full featured trading screens. They don't want to look at moving average, you know, uh, all, all sorts of like you know fancy charts and sort of things like that. They just want to buy some Bitcoin or uh, you know or whatever the case may be. And and for them, you know, Blockfolio is probably the best way to go. And so we're trying to really straddle both ends of the spectrum, everywhere from the you know sophisticated power user. All the way to you know the people that are just casually looking and they want to get uh, you know in, into crypto. Cami, I want to bring you in here if possible. Talk to me about the significance of this as from a market commentator standpoint. What it's the biggest round ever. How do you contextualize all of this? I think it, it really speaks to the just uh, incredible growth in popularity of uh, stable coins uh, in in crypto. It's just become such an important building block and and piece for uh, cryptocurrencies as a new asset class. It's really allowed people to stay in crypto instead of uh, cashing out to, to fiat. Um, so I, I think it's really kind of fueled volume for crypto in in general and. You see stablecoins uh, ranking consistently as the pairs with with the most value in crypto uh, over Bitcoin, over over Ether, and so 
companies like like Circle, uh, which are facilitating the issuance of trusted stablecoins, have really become uh, the the most significant uh, pieces and infrastructure. I, I think in the cryptocurrency space, I think um, USDC has really kind of quietly climbed to the really the top of crypto or almost the top. I, I think it's it's pretty surprising how they are now rivaling Tether, which was kind of the, the undisputed leader in stablecoins for, for a long time. But if you take a look now, Tether has around 30 billion uh, of USDT uh, minted and USDC is, is not that uh, far behind with uh, 26 billion. Yeah, 26 is not far off at all. And then, of course, that enables an ecosystem and exchanges like FTX to really scale because you have this professional investor who's uh, kind of coming from a crypto, as you say, into the pair being stable coins and can move in and out, but stay in this crypto world um, much more efficiently and much faster. Kai, did you have any uh, closing thoughts on this one? Yeah, I just say that I, I continue to be impressed with you know how quickly you know FTX you know, moves in being able to to roll out you know new products, which seems like almost on a weekly basis, and just incredibly excited you know, about the the partnership with Visa, you know, and the FTX Visa card, uh, which we also you know, announced in in the past few weeks, as really a you know a a product that we think can help you know as mainstream consumers use FTX and use Blockfolio, you know, they can now spend directly from a balance of assets in the platform, and so really a testament to to how quickly and and effectively FTX has been able to grow and scale. No, absolutely. And I, and I think long may we continue on doing that. And I, I look, I'm sure we could probably unpack this for, for five or 10 minutes. And I, I love that sort of uh, consumer side versus professional trader side. I think thinking about the risk to consumers and thinking about what's going to be appropriate for them is seen or I know a subject near and dear to your heart. Um, so that's definitely an interesting development as well. I'm going to move us to the next story, though, because um, speaking of Visa, well, apparently crypto cards have racked up more than a billion dollars worth of spending in 2021. So Visa's crypto-related cards saw that much activity in the first half of 2021. Uh, some transactions are, of course, tied to fiat accounts and then result in crypto rewards. Some are pure crypto transactions. And the latest outcome from Visa's partnerships with more than 50 crypto firms that have launched cards with the payment giant. The company's crypto card program is part of a larger push that Visa's making into the crypto world, which Kai, I'm sure you'll tell us a little bit about. And also, it's worth saying, listeners, that Visa powers cards that allow consumers to convert crypto to fiat and spend it, as well as cards that allow them to spend fiat and earn crypto as rewards. So those are two slightly different things. Kai, tell us more about it. Why why so much happening? Yeah, so, so I think first for context, you know, it was about a year ago that you know, we really you know wrote a blog post talking about our approach to crypto for the first time, and um, we said we we think there's this opportunity for Visa to be a bridge and to help you know these new crypto platforms and you know consumers that are you know holding assets on them be able to spend at you know 70 million merchants you know who accept Visa. We think it's it's going to be a long time. It's going to be difficult for most merchants across the world, you know, to understand you know all of the public blockchain networks that are emerging and how they could directly accept them at the point of sale. Uh, and so, you know, there's a much easier path for a crypto exchange, you know, to just issue a Visa credential rather than having to go merchant by merchant, you know, trying to get a merchant to to directly accept. And so, within that, we've seen that there are these you know, different categories of experiences and in, in use cases, you know, for these cards. 
Um, and that's ranges from, you know, people who, you know, maybe they get paid in stable coins, which FTX is saying that they pay about half of their employees in USDC. And so imagine if you get paid in a stable coin, well, you need a way to spend that. And so having a card connected to the exchange where you receive that stable coin makes sense. There are people who are very active traders. They want to be able to move between, you know, Bitcoin and ETH and dollars and, you know, not have to plan ahead when they sell and wait a week until it gets back to their bank account. You know, they expect to have, you know, access to their liquidity and be able to spend from a balance of either fiat, you know, or crypto. And then there are consumers who, you know, might be curious about crypto and, you know, maybe they haven't invested and they haven't purchased any, but they see these propositions around, you can spend from a balance of fiat, you can earn crypto back. And so crypto rewards are starting to become this entirely new category. You see programs like BlockFi and, and Fold, uh, where it's pretty exciting and it's starting to change consumer purchase behavior when you can tap to pay and, and immediately get a notification that you have you know, Bitcoin back you know, on that purchase. And so we're really excited to see all of the different you know, use cases and the different types of companies from you know, giants like FTX to you know, brand new you know, crypto and DeFi startups that are all seeing value in you know, how to get into payments, how to add utility by issuing a Visa credential and letting consumers spend at merchants that way. Yeah, it's powerful, isn't it? When you've got that thing that I recognize in the rules of the road that are almost like backwardly compatible. I should mention as well, um, I'll say the M word, MasterCard have, have looked to announce something, I think in the past couple of days, a partnership with Circle. So it does feel like an industry-wide trend, but Visa was was clearly uh, first out with that. Um, Sina, Kami, any thoughts on this one from, from you guys? Sure. I mean, j just to uh, echo a lot of what Kai was saying, I mean, first of all, we're extremely excited to be partnering with Visa for exactly those same reasons. I mean, we think that there's a lot of people out there that maybe have been looking at crypto, they've been hearing about it, their friends and family members are talking about crypto. But it's one thing to sort of go and like set up an account and actually start, you know, trading crypto. A lot of people are doing that. A lot more people probably will be doing that. But it's even easier for people to do something they've already grown accustomed to, to doing, which is, you know, swipe their Visa card, just slide it and, you know, purchase whatever you're going to purchase. And by the way, if you can get crypto as a reward for that, that's super easy. Uh, and just like I said, we're very excited to be you know, able to offer this to people as an easier way to start actually getting into crypto. Kami, um, 60 seconds, thoughts on this one? I'm, I'm just really excited to have to see crypto as a way to 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 do things beyond uh, speculate. Uh, so I think Visa is enabling that. We're seeing it in DeFi with lending, borrowing, just like getting passive interest. But spending is is such such a, a cornerstone of just like what anyone can do. And, and the fact that you can stay in crypto and invest in crypto, but also use it to buy uh, coffee, which was kind of the the, the cliche criticism that uh, people usually have with Bitcoin. So it's like, you can buy Bitcoin, but you can't buy coffee with Bitcoin. Well, maybe now you can. And it just like starts to lend more uh, legitimacy to the space. Indeed. Uh, Kai, um, speaking of which, there's a big news story up next, isn't there? Yeah. So so I think one of the, the biggest announcements was that USDC, you know, stablecoin backer, you know, Circle uh, is to go public in a $4.5 billion, you know, SPAC deal. Uh, and so, you know, last month, you know, Circle announced they raised, you know, $440 million, which at the time was, you know, one of, still is one of the biggest funding rounds in crypto history. Uh, and so, you know, Circle, you know, going public, you know, puts both members of USDC's, you know, center consortium, you know, on the public markets in both uh, Circle and Coinbase. 
Uh, and you know, really interested to see you know how Circle you know continues to to grow and evolve. Uh, so maybe start starting with Camilla, kind of what are your thoughts on kind of what changes and and what's the impact of of Circle now as a public company on their business, you know, on USDC and you know on the broader you know crypto ecosystem. Well, I alluded to before on just like the importance of uh, Circle and USDC kind of rising previously, but I, I think the fact that Circle will will become a public company will kind of force a transparency into the stablecoin space. And I think that that's been such a, like the Achilles heel of stablecoins with Tether being the biggest one and having been under constant scrutiny and criticism for its lack of transparency. And, you know, it was it was forced by US regulators to show its balance sheet. And then we finally saw what everyone had suspected, that it wasn't, in fact, one-to-one backed by, by US dollars as it had claimed. So it's been this shadow over uh, the stablecoin space. And I think uh, if USDC is, is public and is kind of, required to maybe become a regulated trust to to show exactly what is in its uh, balance sheet to provide uh, periodic reports on on its holdings i think that will just uh, lend a lot more confidence in in this stablecoin uh, space and maybe news about kind of you know, today there were even more kind of a tether headlines uh, crossing crossing the wires, and before like that really kind of sent shockwaves through crypto because it's so reliant on tether. I think now having this equally strong uh, stablecoin just makes the space stronger because you know it means if something happens to tether, we we have uh, USDC uh, that it's just as liquid and there it has the potential to be uh, to be more transparent. Yeah, and Sina, you you support USDC on, on FTX. So curious your perspective on, you know, Circle, you know, USDC versus, you know, other stable coins in the market. Yeah, I mean it's 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 huge and it's it's a, you know, very big part of um, what our our active traders are, you know, using on a daily basis. And just for context, when when you look at an FTX account or an FTX US account, Basically, people can bring in USDC or a number of other, you know, stable coins, and we treat those as U.S. dollar equivalent. So we actually don't, you know, distinguish between that. So, so we're, you know, we're we're, we're very big believers in, in in stable coins, and also to Camilla's point earlier, I mean, I think the the transparency that Camilla mentioned, I think that's a huge thing. I think that really speaks to uh, the trust that people have in in these assets, and going public uh, will be a, a great step in that direction as well, uh, just because of the the increased, you know, looks at that that they'll continue to get. And really, I think in crypto, there's three things that matter uh, for, for crypto platforms, I should say, um, and that's trust, compliance, and execution. And so when you go public, when you have greater you know, uh, amount of sort of scrutiny of what you're doing, that encourages more and more trust because people will become more familiar with what you're doing, what the actual underlying holdings are, and so forth. And you know, long term, I think you know we, we feel that this is really, really beneficial to the industry. And again, you know, just in, in the trading space in crypto, stable coins are just massively important. And so we're we're super excited to to support USDC. And uh, we think there's a number of you know uh, uh, really cool use cases coming up with USDC that uh, that we're we're excited to see as well. And I think just to contextualize that, Kai, I mean, we see the DeFi yield um, being one of the key propositions now coming from fintech looking things like Echo.com and Donut and all these guys where uh, it looks like I'm saving dollars. Now, it's not the same as it being FDIC insured, but actually the way it's insured is still pretty, pretty solid behind the scenes. 
And so from a consumer standpoint, do I want 0.5% APY or do I want 4% APY? And that's a that's a different proposition to the market. And even if those yields come down, they're, they're still potentially differentiated. And then you also see like the difference in moving these things around. Um, I was speaking to a, a senior um, bank executive a couple of weeks ago. He said one of his favorite experiments is to take somebody from a C-suite in a bank and show them moving USDC or, or the Paxos USD around and GUSD and send Sending that to the other side of the world and then trying to do that on SWIFT. <laughs> and the old payment rails that a lot of the banks use are completely different, but actually these rails are fundamentally different and could be used by by all actors. It's not just the consumer and it's not just displacing people. It, it's, it could be valuable as infrastructure. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely something that you have to use to really understand you know, the impact of. And, and the other piece here is, you know, we partnered with Circle you know, back near the end of last year. And, and we really did so because yeah, we saw this transition of stablecoins moving from you know trading in crypto capital markets as the core you know, product market fit to you know new payment flows, and so we we're really interested to see how can we work with them to explore things like cross border payments and you know P two P and in these new use cases. And so you know we've been able to to learn a lot and, and find some really interesting opportunities through that. I think as now that Circle goes public. You know, there could be more and more visibility on what types of companies are using USDC and using Circle's products for what use cases. And, and you'll see that, you know, it's no longer just crypto businesses. There are now, you know, global internet companies that are, you know, seeing USDC as, you know, core treasury infrastructure. And particularly as they expand to, to many different blockchains, you know, there are brand new things that you can do that, you know, you just can't do with other payment systems, you know, in a digital dollar on a, you know, high throughput, you know, open public network. Imagine if the dollar was internet native. That's hugely powerful if you're a, a payments company and looking to expand into markets, or if you're a big tech company and looking to accept payments in markets where there isn't a lot of payments infrastructure or it's it's largely informal. So I, I do want to point everybody, Paxos put out an interesting report saying, have you really got a dollar? And I think the transparency that's coming out from that is kind of powerful because there are different worldviews as to how you should build a stable coin. And Cami said something really interesting about kind of, uh, will we see the regulators require Circle to become a trust? So lots that could play out here. There's, we're definitely not done building and there's a lot more to come. But speaking of which, having a lot more to come, we're just going to take a quick pause here while we hear from our sponsors and we'll be back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Visa, one of the world's leaders in digital payments. Crypto has opened up a new world of possibility, and Visa is helping everyone take part. Visa enables commerce across their network and crypto networks through solutions like FinTech FastTrack, a quick and easy way for crypto innovators to issue payment credentials. Join us in this new money movement. Learn more at visa.com forward slash crypto. Season two of the FinTech Marketing Podcast has landed. Join me, Eric Fulweiler, Chief Marketing and Commercial Officer here at 11FS, as I talk directly to some of the most influential CMOs in the world of FinTech and financial services. I'm going to be asking them how they build brands, how they drive growth with modern day marketing. This season, I also have a new co-host, Mariette Ferreira, our marketing director here at 11FS. She will be talking to the people getting down and dirty on the marketing front lines with roundtable chats from some of the best in the business. Subscribe today on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss out. That's FinTech Marketing Podcast by 11FS. Okay, first story 
back in is about Square making a hardware wallet for Bitcoin. So Square is possibly making the most fintech meets crypto crossover story ever here. So they're going to make this hardware wallet for Bitcoin. And Jack Dorsey, who's the CEO of both Square and Twitter, had said in June that the company was considering making this hardware wallet. And now Square has made that decision to move forward. There's a quote here from uh, Jack Dorsey that says, we decided to build a hardware wallet and service to make Bitcoin custody much more mainstream. We'll continue to ask and answer questions in the open. This community's response to our thread about this project has been awesome, encouraging, generous and collaborative and inspiring. Uh, this hardware wallet won't be Square's first cryptocurrency focused product as you can already buy and sell um, Bitcoin from within Square's cash app. Um, but it is, of course, a fundamental change to how it all works. So uh, interested in your perspective on this one, Cena. does this seem a bit Bitcoin maximalist to you? And what's the What's the significance of Square doing something like this? Oh, it's huge. Um, you know, obviously, a lot of people follow you know Square, and for good reason. You know, we're we're fans of what they do. I mean, it's an interesting sort of characteristic of the crypto space where you know people might think that you know certain people are competitors, but actually, we all are kind of rooting for each other to succeed. And so, we're super excited for them to continue to help grow the ecosystem. First of all, second of all, I, I think there's a lot to be said about focus uh, and, and, and sort of simplification of things. And so the one example I kind of think of being here in California uh, or on the West Coast here is uh, you know, In-N-Out Burger. They have three choices. You know, you walk in, you can get a number one, a number two, or a number three. And that makes it really easy for people. And similarly, I think when there's a company that focuses just on Bitcoin, that gives people something to latch onto easily. Maybe it's it's a little bit easier to sort of wrap your head around, okay, they're, they're dealing with this one thing called Bitcoin. They don't have to learn about all these other things. And I think there's definitely a place for that. And I think that um, it makes a lot of sense. And obviously, there's a lot of reasons to be excited about Bitcoin. So I guess net very positive, and um, we're excited to see what they do. And I think it makes a lot of sense to offer their users uh, more ways to engage and more ways to get like super engaged and actually do you know self custody. I, I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, Kai, I'm interested in your views. There's a really good Spike Lee piece. I don't know if anybody's seen it on YouTube about new money. And the Square has always done really well at being like moving with the sort of money as culture, culture as money. And I think Robin Hood has kind of really moved into that world. Whereas a generation of people that are looking towards economic empowerment and to take control of their destiny, and maybe the Bitcoin narrative feeds into that. Um, how do you think about this as you look at it? And what can we learn from it? Yeah, I think Square has has done a fantastic job building what is akin to a, a cultural brand. You know, you you hear Cash App, you hear Square in uh, in popular culture, and I think you know Bitcoin has has been a, a part of that, and and Bitcoin is becoming you know more and more of a, a cultural brand and a community of of people across the world that that share a common interest, and so uh, it it makes sense, and and I I see how kind of you know. Bitcoin, you know, helps Square a lot, and Square is able to 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 really help you know raise awareness and and be a, a simple way to onboard into Bitcoin for the first time for many you know customers who you know may not you know, have been comfortable downloading an exchange, looking at an order book. So I think that that has been a fantastic success, and you know they started what 2018 or 2019 in terms of just adding the ability to buy and sell. So I'm really interested to see how this goes. Kind of moving from you know the stages of a custodial on ramp to being able to you know hold Bitcoin in a non custodial way and then 
Jack talks about, you know, Bitcoin-based decentralized financial services. So kind of what does that mean? What will be the use cases? How will people use this hardware wallet? And, you know, will it be something that, you know, a you know, average consumer can immediately go into? Or is it kind of as you, you, you start with a custodial account on Square and then as you get more advanced, you move into it? So I'd be curious to hear uh, Camilla's perspective on, like, is Bitcoin DeFi... Uh, and I, I I saw a lot of swirl around like, wait, you're talking about Ethereum, Jack. Like, how do you think about what it means to build decentralized financial services for Bitcoin? Is that just storing value and paying on Lightning? Or what else do you think if you were Jack that that you could do you know, with this this vision? Well, I think to start, like I see uh, Sina's point on like the the value of focusing on one thing and simplifying crypto for people and, and just being like, this is a wallet for for bitcoin and this is just one thing you need to learn but at the same time it's it's a bit of a shame that jack seems to be just willfully ignoring ethereum which is actually where all the major innovation in crypto is happening and and the place that's kind of already providing all of the decentralized financial services that he's talking about so one thing is kind of like the hope that maybe DeFi will be built on Bitcoin and maybe that will happen. It's not really happening very meaningfully yet. And the other, you know, the other argument is where is actually DeFi being built? Like where is the value? Where are the users? Where is the TVL? And 90, 99% of that is, is on Ethereum. So you see comments like that, like, oh, I, I'm going to build a an ecosystem of financial applications on blockchain. And it's like, it's already here. It's on, on Ethereum. And then other, like he's done other things like minting an NFT of one of his tweets. And he did that like using the Ethereum blockchain, but then converted all the proceeds to Bitcoin. So it's, it's, I don't know, it's, it, it, it's a bit odd. Obviously, I also think this is net positive for the space. I mean, a, a huge company like Square getting into Bitcoin, Jack kind of pro- constantly uh, promoting Bitcoin to his followers. I think that that helps everyone. But I also wish that he wouldn't completely kind of close his, his eyes into, you know, to what's already happening and the innovation that's already going on on Ethereum. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I don't know if you watched The B Word, which was uh, an interesting event with uh, Elon Musk, uh, Kathy Wood from ARK Investments, and of course, Jack Dorsey. And indeed, in that, um, Elon was at pains to consistently mention both Ethereum and, of course, Dogecoin being the troll that he is. And it's super interesting that this is a hardware wallet, as as some of you have mentioned as well, because if you remember 21 Inc., there was a goal to really help people directly hold the, their Bitcoin and their crypto in the same way that I would have coins and notes in my pockets. Like I'm holding it. It's not been held on my behalf by anybody else. And that could be powerful in emerging markets. It could be powerful in, in, in other parts of the world, or it could just be powerful for getting people used to working and operating in that way and Square's very good at building those experiences. Uh, Kai, last point from you. Yeah, I, I'd say I think the other major takeaway is, you know, this is going to raise a lot of awareness about the concept of non-custodial financial services and products. And I think a lot of major payment companies, a lot of major banks, they don't really understand that, you know, it's now possible to build a payment product as software and the consumer manages that money themselves, which is an entirely new way to develop products. So I think regardless whether it's Bitcoin or Ethereum, that term of non-custodial decentralized financial services is now going to become more well-known. 
And it terrifies regulators, but it doesn't have to, which is a whole other podcast about how uh, AML is predicated on an analog version of, of financial services and we can do better with digital. But anyway, I'm going to move us to the next story. And if this sentence sounds like a word salad, bear with me, I'm going to unpack it. All right. So how Axie Infinity creates work in the metaverse. Okay, let, let go with me on this, guys. A cute pet game that happens to use non-fungible tokens called Axie Infinity is currently raking in more protocol revenue than Ethereum and Bitcoin, and more than the next top 11 ranking decentralized applications combined. It has collected over $30 million in fees in the last week. Its business model is also designed so that anyone can profit, especially those who are usually excluded from these kind of life-changing moments in wealth creation. So this game, effectively, and marketplace behind the game has more than a half a million daily active users, an estimated 60% of those coming from the Philippines, where Axie is exploding. So I like to think about Axie as being as if Pokemon and, say, Fortnite had a baby. It's like Pokemon with a, with a marketplace on the back end of it. Imagine if you could buy and sell and trade Pokemon, but it happens to run on crypto rails and it happens to sit in your wallet. So there are people buy, sell, and trading these things, but they're also breeding them, which creates new ones. So yeah, it's kind of crypto kitties, but with a marketplace, this is this is kind of interesting. And so when people talk about metaphors, they always talk about like the ready player one universe. We're in this, we're in this virtual world of games and intellectual properties that all come into each other. But the really interesting thing about this is not just that it's metaverse, that people are playing online and there's an economy behind it, but actually people are earning money from it. Like this is, you can make more than four times the, the minimum wage in the Philippines by playing this game, which is hugely exciting. Uh, who wants to jump in on this one first? What are, what are your thoughts? And, and yeah, do you want to help, help define this thing? Because it's just, just so crazy. Maybe I'll, I'll start quickly and just say that this is the most fascinating thing that is happening that kind of bridges crypto, uh, fintech, gaming, and so highly recommend, like we need to do a whole episode on this. We we can't do it justice in, in a short period of time. Uh, shout out to Packy McCormick and Not Boring. You know, if you want to read one thing, Infinite Revenue, Infinite Possibilities, that's a great one. Uh, I think from a fintech and crypto perspective, one of the really interesting aspects here is, you know, this is changing how consumers earn a living. Average consumers that are not crypto traders, that are not, you know, out here trying to speculate, it is becoming a job and not just a job that's like, you know, a task that people don't like to do. It's becoming a combination of a job and a community that people are passionate about where they're earning a better living than they could elsewhere in the real world. And now they're earning that living in a cryptocurrency. And so, you know, what happens, you know, what new financial services are they going to use when you're getting paid in a cryptocurrency from a game? And, you know, there's just such a fascinating model of all the pieces and how they fit together. And so I think everyone who cares about fintech, you know, should follow this as, as an example of what the future of work could look like. 
Totally. And, and just to, I mean, echo that. Um, and first of all, I, I learned about Axie, hat, you know, tip of the hat to Kai for, uh, cluing me into this. Uh, but the more I, I've, I've learned and read and talked to people about it, it's just, I mean, I, I agree with Kai. It's one of the most interesting stories that, uh, that I've heard in crypto. And really, I think a lot of us, the reason we got into crypto is, you know, we want to see sort of improving people's lives. And this is exactly an example of that. I mean, people are literally earning living wages and more than that. It's really, really remarkable. And then also sort of dovetailing off of, of what some of what Kai was saying earlier, this is a way for people to, to get into crypto and to experience crypto. I mean, how many hundreds of thousands of people have opened or will open their first crypto wallet because of Axie Infinity? I mean, I think that's amazing. And this is probably just the tip of the uh, the iceberg in terms of you know what we'll be able to uh, do as, as an industry going forward. So just extremely excited and uh, uh, to, to watch the development here. Yeah, I, I'll add that. I think NFTs in general have really attracted a new wave of crypto users that are unlike kind of the uh, financially minded, hard currency, like libertarian in, in early wave that came into Bitcoin and then kind of the, the very kind of technical developers that came to build on Ethereum. This year we saw artists coming, opening their first crypto wallet because they wanted to mint NFTs. And here we are with Axie Infinity seeing another aspect of that uh, with gaming. So I think we are seeing the first kind of non-financial use cases for, for crypto really start to, to grow uh, this year for the first time ever. Before it was like all speculation, financial use cases, but now we're seeing art, music with NFTs, gaming really explode and, and build and, and bring in these new users. And it's interesting that crypto has always been about banking the unbanked or giving wider access to financial services. And I think kind of the, the early uh, cypherpunks assumed this would be through Bitcoin, but we're actually seeing it you know, come to come to life with something like a game. And I, I don't think it's something that anyone really anticipated or, or expected, but it just like, it makes a lot of sense that this will be the way to get a more mainstream um, audience using crypto. It makes complete sense. I've got to call out the doomsday scenario for, for those folks that are thinking this is crazy because we could end up in a wall-y future where we're all locked into our screens and we don't get out so much. And um, also video games that do this sort of earn mechanic can become very grindy. They lose their fun very quickly. So we've got to keep our eyes about it and make sure that this is this is being done for the right reasons. But as I stand back and look at this, they all, um, I'm reminded of the Chris Dixon quote, which says, it always starts out looking like a toy. And this feels like Angry Birds was to the iPhone, Axie Infinity is for crypto. It really does feel like a, a mainstream moment, which is hugely, hugely powerful and exciting. So long may that continue. And uh, there was a really good point, as you said, Kai, in Packy's write-up of this. So Packy McCormick covered, uh, and he, he compared it to Roblox, and he said, it's grown faster than Roblox, grown faster than Fortnite, it's generating as much, if not more, revenue than those uh, IPs are, except 95% of that revenue is given back to the users or the owners of the of the games and the, the tokens behind it. And that is a really good metaphor to think about how this could really change things and involve communities in, in the growth of new brands. We are running so low on time that I'm going to cut our honorable mentions. So we don't really have time to cover that DeFi wallet Phantom has raised $9 million in Series A funding, but 
That's super exciting. So Rare have done some partnerships and may apparently be raising $530 million in a funding round. Um, so that's a huge NFT story. But in our last segment, uh, we want to give a shout out to the Tweet of the Week, which this week comes from Ryan Watkins. Tweet, 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 tweet. It's the Tweet of the Week. Tweet of the Week. So Ryan Watkins says, in Q2 2021, Ethereum set a $2.5 trillion in transactions. They settled $2.5 trillion in transactions. This represents 65% quarter over quarter growth and 14,090% year on year growth and puts Ethereum on pace to settle $8 trillion worth of value in 2021. We're into the trillions now, guys. What are your thoughts on this? A um, couple of sentences from everybody. Kai, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think my, my first takeaway is like, we haven't even really gotten into mainstream payment flows and we're doing trillions of dollars a quarter you know, settlement on, on Ethereum in terms of you know what the Ethereum blockchain is capable of. I think as second layers emerge, as as we see you know more you know mainstream use cases, you know this is going to continue to grow. The other thing is every bank, every payment provider, everyone interested in fintech should track this data. This is publicly available. You know, Masari, the block, their coin metrics, there are many data sources, and so that's step one to getting up to speed on crypto is you know follow metrics like this. Kami, let's see. I think well, I think one one take from this is that. Ethereum, you know, was like set out to be the world computer and just like this base layer for Web3 or like the next internet. I think it's TVD whether it can become the base layer of, of everything of this like world computer. But I think numbers like this support the case for, for saying that um, Ethereum has already won as a financial chain for the future. I think uh, if Ethereum can just focus and, and become the financial layer for, for Web3, that's already kind of a pretty good outcome if it doesn't actually become the world computer. Yeah, I was listening to an interview with um, Sam, the founder of Arweave, where he said um, he, he originally bought into the world computer. It's not what he got, but what he got is pretty interesting too, which is um, this, this. it's almost this, it's not just a financial layer, it's a contracting layer where um, the, the logic can be automated of, of given business logic. Uh, Sina, thoughts on this one? Yeah, I mean, just coming around to the numbers again, I mean, you mentioned the trillions. Um, you know, the last time I checked, which was admittedly a little while ago, uh, the number of unique crypto users globally is somewhere around 100 million, 100 maybe plus million uh, uh, people globally. And if you divide that by the total number of people that, you know, uh, that there are in the world, um, that's, I mean, something like 95, 96% of people, maybe more, are not yet into crypto. So basically, I would say you ain't seen nothing yet. We're just getting started. We are, and we're going to have to fix a lot along the way. The great thing about things being early is there's, oh my goodness, there's a lot to do and a lot of podcasts to record. Um, but that wraps up this week's show. Thank you so much for our guests. Uh, where can people find out more about you? I'm going to start with you, Cami. Yes, so you can find me on Twitter at Cami Russo. And The Defined on Twitter is at Defined News. And the Defined website is thedefined.io. Brilliant. Sina, how about you? So uh, you can visit uh, our website at ftx.us. Uh, if you're a US person, if you're outside the US, uh, it's ftx.com. Uh, and then uh, if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Sina Nader 33 Fantastic. Kai? Visa.com slash crypto. 
Check it out. And as for me, you can find me at SYTaylor on Twitter or Simon11FS.com. Uh, thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, remember to subscribe. Tell everybody you know to check us out. We are back um, and you will never miss an episode if you do subscribe. So excited. And also remember that we do have a community. So hit us up on the Blockchain Insider Twitter and uh, check out what's going on with our community. And if you really love this show, remember, please, please leave us a review. It makes the show better. It helps other people find it. Just go ahead and do it. If you're in iTunes right now, just go do it. Go think about it. Go do it. Go write that review. Thank you so much. You can find us on social media or you can email us at podcast at 11fs.com if you have any suggestions. Bye for now.